0: Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at pleasurelandrv.com. Welcome, dear listeners, to the Easter Sunday edition of WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Jerisline, the host of this broadcast every week, and I'm very excited to be with you for the next sixty minutes. Anchoring this week's show will be Governor Tim Walls. Yes, our second and third segments. I'm anticipating having a long conversation with the governor about a number of natural resource topics here in the state of Minnesota. The governor has not joined us on this broadcast before, so I'm excited to uh, talk about a bunch of topics. We'll probably uh, discuss invasive carp, chronic wasting disease, uh, the situation up on Upper Red Lake, and a number of other issues. So stay tuned for that. Probably kick it off here in about 10 minutes. And then the final segment, I'm hoping I'll have a few minutes to talk with Travis Smirud. He's the manager down at Four Seasons Sports in Red Wing, Minnesota. We'll talk with Travis about how the open water fishing for walleyes and saugers has been going Down on the Mississippi, that always gets going earlier than the rest of the state. The season is continuous down on that border water. Of course, this broadcast goes until 6 p.m., then stay tuned for 60 minutes. And then at 7 p.m., Gerilyn Steele back in the house with Steele talking. So lots of great programming coming at you all evening on WCCO AM 830 on this Easter Sunday, April 9th. Before we go to break and then eventually chat with the governor, I've got a few minutes here maybe to run down some news items that caught my eye this past week. Uh, For one thing, I was hearing some rumors that it has not been the greatest maple syruping year. Kind of mixed reviews from what I'm hearing. Some folks uh, getting a lot of sap 10 gallons a day kind of thing. Other folks saying it was barely even worth uh, tapping any trees because dealing with a lot of snow in the woods, tough to get out there. And now with the warm temperatures we've got coming in this week's forecast, the, the sap, it's, it's going to be over. I guess, you know, once the temperatures get into that 60, 70 degree range, I, I don't, I think the quality of the sap starts to deteriorate. So I, my sense is a fairly short season for maple syruping this year. If there's folks listening out there who feel differently about that, shoot me an email, editor at outdoornews.com, and I will share your comments on next week's broadcast. A quick date to remember I thought I would share, the Minnesota-bound crappie contest on Lake Minnetonka is slated for May 6th. I guess that event's been going on for 53 years. Uh, that's a nice run. I remember when it typically would be held in late April, but a couple of years they ran into late ice out and were unable to hold the contest, so they've bumped it back into May, typically that weekend, before the regular inland waters fishing opener for walleyes, pike, etc., Organizers saying that if ice out has not occurred on Lake Minnetonka by May 6th, the event will be canceled in 2023. We'll see. I got a feeling with those warm temperatures, we're expecting this week that ice out is going to advance, and it's going to be a fairly normal year. I bet they're going to be able to pull that off. Uh, You can visit mnbound.com for more information on that annual crappie contest. Finally for this segment, I know a lot of Minnesotans like to go up to Alaska and explore, check out the incredible sights and fauna up in that remarkable state. I got a note that Denali National Park and Preserve is getting serious about fixing that park road. Uh, we had Sharon Steitler, the bird chick, on, I don't know, a couple months ago, several months ago. She's a park ranger up there, and we talked about the landslides and the deterioration ...of that park road that has closed pretty much the back half of it off to any sort of travel. Looking like the National Park Service, in collaboration with the Federal Highway Administration, has developed a plan to construct a bridge... Uh, that will span this, what they call the Pretty Rocks Landslide. Uh, design work is underway, and the press release that I got about this said that the bridge is estimated to be completed in 2025. That would be good news for folks that want to get into the interior of one of our largest and most scenic, most incredible wilderness landscapes in the entire United States, North America, period. I believe that road that goes into the park, which is mostly only accessible by bus, is about 90 miles long. There's a really cool visitor center at the end of the road, the Isle Sun Visitor Center, uh, and that has been inaccessible because that road's pretty much been cut off at the halfway point, about the 45-mile point, I believe. So some good news. I got a feeling there's going to be a lot of people heading to Alaska to check that out in 2025 and 2026. With that, I know everybody is excited to be coming out of winter 2022, 2023. It's been a long one, but we got some gorgeous weather coming up this coming week it's been a gorgeous easter weekend i hope folks have been out enjoying it and are on their way home now to uh, to face a, a gorgeous spring week here in our fine state please stick around after the break we're going to have governor tim walls join us for a couple of segments there's a lot to talk about with the governor cooking at the legislature uh, cooking around the state around the region and i want to get his point of view on these conservation topics Again, we are here until 6 o'clock, and after I'm done chatting with the governor, we're going to get back to fishing and talk about what's cooking down on open water, the Mississippi River, I and sauger fishing out of Red Wing. So don't go away. I am Rob Gerislein from Outdoor News. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors on this Easter Sunday, and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors. I'm Rob Gerislein. We will be here until 6 o'clock. As I mentioned in the first segment, we've got a special guest joining us on WCCO Outdoors for the first time, Governor Tim Walls. So diving right in, I would like to welcome Governor Tim Walls to the program. He's a former US Rep from Southern Minnesota and Governor Walls has occupied the state's highest executive office since 2019. Governor Walls, thank you for joining the broadcast. How are you doing today? Um, well, great to be with you, Rob. Yeah, happy holiday weekend to you. You
1: too, happy Easter.
0: Well, first off, uh, I was at the MinFish legislative meet and greet uh, a couple weeks ago. You were there in a great mood. Thank you for attending that. And, you know, thanks for your support on uh, some of MinFish's priorities, I guess the uh, the fish hatcheries and the boat landings. We've seen some of those dollars, I think, drop out of the house. Bill, are you confident we're going to get it all back by the time the session ends? I
1: am. And and for your listeners, Rob, uh, MinFish, this is just a lot of folks that after all these years recognizing that, Fishing's not just a huge tradition, we're one of the top states obviously for licenses. It's big business too. It's over four billion dollars. And these are folks that have uh have come to the capital, have gathered together to to advocate for things to make Minnesota's fishing industry, uh, you know, solid for the future. So I am confident that between the House and the Senate, we got everything in there we asked for. And again, I think for Minnesotans, be want us to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars. A lot of this money is to upgrade fish hatcheries that are 80 plus years old. These are foundational to, you know, making sure that we keep the populations where they need to be. And it's public water access. Making sure you got a place to put a boat in, place to fish. And so I am confident because I think the, the, the message we carry to folks is this is a really smart investment for Minnesota's future, both fishing future and economic future.
0: Well, again, thank you for support on that. And we'll be watching that close between now and uh, May 22nd, I guess, is when the the session ends. Jumping around, your DNR commissioner, Sarah Stroman, you've been happy with her? I see she still hasn't been confirmed by the Senate, which struck me as a little odd. You you sometimes maybe expect that when the opposition party runs uh, the Senate, but it's DFL controlled. I I don't believe your PCA commissioner has been uh, confirmed yet either.
1: I think it's timing more than anything. It certainly wasn't the case last legislative session, unfortunately, you know, and I I think political differences are what make this country strong, but I think we saw politics played with people's lives. The idea of confirming a commissioner is, is based on their ability to do the job, not your ideological differences. And I think it's just a schedule uh, to get it on there because I certainly could not be prouder. I think Commissioner Stroman has uh, led with a vision. She has... Uh, Being a former mayor, understand what it takes to actually get jobs done. And I think she's done an incredible job of getting outreach. Let's be candid. You know, for your listeners, if they're listening to this program, DNR commissioner is a pretty tough job. You never make anybody too happy, but it's an important job. That management of the resources plus access, tough, but she's doing it.
0: Yeah, I think they say no job can get the governor in more trouble than the DNR commissioner post.
1: And so far, I don't believe she's gotten you in any trouble, Governor. She has not. That might used to be true, but that was pre-pandemic maybe. But no, she's doing a great job. And I think building these coalitions and recognizing groups like MinFish are bringing a really important voice. Certainly, you know, you put celebrities like Tom Newstrom or, or Ron Chair Forward, but but it's a lot more than that. They're speaking for the basically one million Minnesotan who holds a fishing license. And I think what they want is is they want to make sure that the fishing's available. They want to make sure the lakes stay open. They want to make sure we're managing invasive species. You know, they want to make sure the docks are good. And um I think all of those things are a balancing act, but if you don't have the will of the people who do the work, it's hard. And, and I think when I say do the work, all those of us that take part in outdoor activities know we pay a lot of our own way, if you will, with fees and things like that. I think the issue here is, is that the state general fund for many, many years has not invested as much as needed to be on this basic infrastructure. And I think Commissioner Stroman helped turn kind of the tide on this. So I am confident we'll get that done. Governor, I got to
0: ask you about Red Lake. The uh, the Red Lake band here a couple of weeks ago uh, declaring that they would like to control all of Upper Red Lake including one mile of state land surrounding it. Uh, the vibe we're getting from the DNR is that this is this is not our fight. This is between the bands and and the feds. Nonetheless, the state of Minnesota's been managing that fishery for yeah. 150 years. We invested a ton of money into restoring it 25 years ago. Has anyone from your office reached out to the Red Lake band and, and said, you know, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, we do talk. And I want to be very clear about this When Red Lake is a little bit unique in that they did not sign any treaties other with with the state. Their role is with the federal government. With that being said, they are a sovereign nation, but we have good relationships with them. We share this land together. And you're absolutely right. That is a critically important, both environmental piece for them from ricing and things like that, uh, as well as harvesting fish. But it's also an important place for the people of Minnesota. So we're monitoring this closely. I think Red Lake's claim to the land, as that's taken up with the federal government, doesn't necessarily preclude the continued work that we do together and getting the anglers out there. I I just think it highlights, again, that these incredibly important natural resources and that we share this land together. And whether you're fishing or not, or whether you're tribal government or not, it's in the best interest of all of us to maintain these things. So we're monitoring it closely. Uh, We'll continue to watch as the federal government looks into it. We will certainly continue to work as partners together to protect that fishery.
0: Since this announcement, since this broke newswise, has anyone from the governor's office reached out to the Red Lake Band? And what's going on? We, we'd like. Well, to I had a it.
1: scheduled meeting with Chairman Siki and his counsel with Sam Strong and, and their folks from their DNR. And um, as we are independent governments, I, uh, they were there and they explained to me what their thinking is around the trees and around the land. And it's their desire to have the, the Interior Department take a look at that. And, and that is how that conversation went. I, again, as governor... Cannot tell them to do something. We work together as partners. And I said, I just want to understand, you know, where they're at, where they're going and, and the commitment again that we need to protect that, that fishery together.
0: Specifically, when did that meeting take place, Governor? Sometime in the past couple of weeks? let
1: my staff follow up. It's been in the last two weeks. Okay. I've been going through. I do yearly because of requirements by law, and it's the thing we think is the right thing to do. I do one-on-one meetings with each of the tribes to discuss their legislative priorities. This issue came up, and, um you know, again, they have no requirement to tell us ahead of time, so I get it when you did, but the relationships are government to government. We talk, and, and it came up in that discussion that they said they are going to pursue this with um, – With the Interior Department and the federal government, I said we'll continue to monitor it and continue to protect what's there. You're
0: listening to WCCO Outdoors on this Easter Sunday. We're chatting with Minnesota Governor Tim Walls, and he's joining us here today for a couple segments. Uh, One more quick tribal question, Governor Walls, involving the uh, the Upper Sioux Agency uh, State Park. Outdoor News reporting that the DNR and the, uh, the Upper Sioux Agency Band are negotiating possibly transferring that property over to the band. It's going to cost the state some money. It's my understanding what that, that land was purchased using land and conservation fund dollars, so we can't just give it away without replacing it, and at land prices, we might be talking five, six, seven million dollars. This came up pretty fast, Didn't seem like a lot of public review. Your DNR commissioners already testified in favor of it. There was a public meeting, I guess, out in Granite Falls this past week to discuss it. Can you just assure my listeners that citizens of Minnesota are going to be going to be heard? as this unfolds?
1: Oh, yeah, they will. And um, this knowing the whole story around this, it's been quite a few years that it's actually been being discussed. Um, as you know, that that piece of land is uh, is critically important historically to uh, to the upper Sioux, to the Yellow medicine people. I have myself spoken with uh, the deputy secretary of the interior in D.C. on this issue. And you're right. It was purchased with some of those lands. But there's agreements to make sure that the federal government, we can do like by like transfers of land. So there's not going to be that cost in it. There's a little bit of an encumbrance on the, uh, the buildings that are there, but most of those are, are difficult for the DNR to maintain. There are some historical society properties that are there that is the agency. Uh, this park was established in 1963, a hundred years after the 1863 agency, which led to the, the uprising and the issues that came about that. So there will be. Public discussions on this, I think, again, for many folks who are unfamiliar with this area around Granite Falls, uh, the highway there is now closed, which makes access much more difficult to get to the park. Um, there are users that are there, but I, I think for your listeners, one of the things that's very difficult for the Upper Sioux folks, they have burial grounds there that people camp upon. And uh, I think as a state, we're trying to understand our history. We're trying to make sure that we share the land together, but there's a cultural respect for how we deal with especially these lands that are cemeteries, too. Governor,
0: before we go to break, let's get one fun topic out of the way. Carp barrier, the yeah. invasive carp, big heads and silvers working their way up the Mississippi River. Uh, I was talking to your DNR commissioner about this. I'm crabby about it because they're on Pool 6 of the Mississippi, which is my old stomping grounds. Uh, as I have said be- before, I believe uh, Minnesota River, your stomping grounds, looks a lot like the Illinois River, uh, where these things have been a you know, massive major yeah. problem. You know, I understand there's some concerns about this barrier. Will it work? But as I have asked other folks, if not this, then what?
1: Yeah, I've been involved with this since I've been on the Transportation Committee. We were talking about the locks and dams. This has come up. There's been electrified barriers have been come up. This goes back over 20 years when we first started seeing the invasive species. Uh, I'm certainly intrigued by any idea that comes up. I also, though, think on any of these decisions, we need to listen to the scientists. We need to listen to the naturalists that understand this. We need to understand how this would disrupt other movements of fish that we want and other other things. So I'm crabby about the fish that are here, but I think people have not taken this seriously. This is one of the issues with Red Lake. They do not believe that we've taken zebra mussels we being us as a society, serious enough, and now zebra mussels are showing up in Red Lake. So I think aquatic uh, invasive species, I don't think we've invested enough in this. I don't think we've invested enough in research and actual barriers. So I'm I'm open to this one, Rob, to tell you, but I, I do listen to my DNR commissioners. Um, I know that she does not think this is a fix right now, but what I would tell you is we need to do something.
0: Governor, real quick follow-up. Sp- Tim Spielman in the last segment brought up Why would just Minnesota be on the hook for this? Uh, There's multiple agencies and states involved in the Mississippi River. Should the governor of Minnesota be hitting up the governor of Wisconsin
1: to to help fund this? We tried it in Congress. We tried to do an Upper Great Lakes compact around this issue. Uh, Betty McCollum worked on this many, many years ago. She was one that was advocating for this, I believe. I don't want to misstate her position. But she and I spoke on this, if I recall, probably 2008 on the issues when the first, you could probably go back and Google it, but I think those were some of the first uh Confirmed cases of where we saw these uh, you know, silver carp and other things in the river. So, um, yes, this, this needs to be a concerted effort. It certainly needs to be the federal government in this. And that extends, again, I would say zebra mussels and everything else. We have to have it. And we just don't in Minnesota. You're right. For us being able to do it ourselves, we don't have the ongoing resources to fight this alone.
0: Governor, you stick around for another quick segment? Absolutely. This is WCCO Outdoors. We are chatting with Governor Tim Walls. We're going to get in a break, but more of the broadcast after these messages. Welcome back everybody to WCCO Outdoors on this Easter Sunday, second half of our interview now with Governor Tim Walls. We're kicking around a variety of outdoors and natural resources issues and I appreciate the governor joining us. Governor, thanks for sticking around. Sure thing. Uh, environmental and Natural Resources Trust Fund. Governors do not sign that because it's a ballot initiative. It's an, it's an amendment. But nonetheless, it is uh, percolating through the legislature. I presume this is something you support. And when it's on the
1: ballot, I hope in 2024, you're going to vote in favor of it. I'm going to vote in favor of it. And I, again, I, I tell the advocates of this. Um, if it helps to have me go out and tell people to vote for it, I'll do that. If it tells, it helps to have me away from it, then I'll be away from it for them because this is critical. The folks who were involved in this when it first happened, this was groundbreaking. It has made a difference. I think we have to be careful, though, that we don't. This was not meant to to take all of the heat. This was most meant to... Uh, to be on top of what we were doing. This was not meant to do the fish hatcheries. This was not meant to do some of these things we're doing. It was meant as an enhancement. And I think continuing to keep it in place and and to listen and think about what the original intent was is really important. But I absolutely do support this. And I I just can't thank enough for the, uh, the visionaries who put it in place the first time and the voters of Minnesota who voted for it.
0: It needs to pass either this year or next year to get on the 2024 ballot. Would you say it should be a priority
1: this year? I think it should be a priority. I Whenever I tell the legislature what to do, I get in hot water. Um, I recognize <laughs> yeah. that we're separation of powers, but this is one I think I'm speaking for the people of Minnesota. Let's get it on there. And the one thing I can tell you that seems to be a lot of agreement around that ballot initiatives are people kind of like that idea that they have a real say in this. And this one, I, I think, as we know, is is incredibly popular. It, it passed overwhelmingly, and I cannot see why that would be any different now.
0: Governor, you got some fee increases in your budget. There's a fishing license increase. There's some uh, boating license increases, also, as well as a myriad of others. We'll, we'll focus on the natural resources ones here. I know, and, and you're hearing it too. A lot of folks saying, "Gosh, we're sitting on a big, a big yeah. surplus. Why would we be doing this now?" I'll let you uh, explain yeah. why you think that's a priority.
1: Yeah, first I hear them loud and clear on this, and trust me, it's the, the optics of saying that because we do have a surplus that was caused certainly by. Corporate profits were up and, and during COVID. The one thing is most of this is one-time money, it means it's not ongoing and once you spend it. Now, we have to be very careful about creating ongoing funding streams because you have to pay for those at some point. So there's folks out there saying you're going to create these new programs and they're going to cost money and then you're going to tax me more. Um, that's a fair critique. The one thing I can tell you about outdoor folks is we understand what that investment means and these are long-term ongoing costs. So before I proposed these, I went to groups, I listened to folks, I went to MinFish and said, what's reasonable on this? What are other states charging? What do we get out of this? For example, there's a fee on aquatic invasive species. We use that money to do the very things you were just talking about. Certainly the fees along the boating help us with the boat ramps and that. We are also, and the folks at MinFish were very clear is, We'll be okay with these fees, but the state needs to invest general fund dollars to get us back up because everybody's benefiting this, whether it's just the fishing guide, but it goes way further than that. It's the gas station. It's the it's the grocery store where people are buying. This is a multi-billion dollar business. So I just want to tell folks as we think we keep that in there, most of these are folks who pay it themselves, who do this. And most of us understand when you're in outdoor activities, whether you buy a firearm or you buy your fishing license, the way the North American model of, conservation has been done, that money goes back to conservation. And so for long term, to make sure we're not in a situation again, fish hatchery at Waterville is 85 years old and basically falling apart. The way we make sure is we invest general fund dollars, we get it modernized, we do the upkeep with the fee increases. So I hear you. Again, if it were just the one-time money, I am investing the most one-time money that's ever invested in the DNR and outdoor activities, but that won't carry on 20 years from now. And that's why these fee increases around fishing licenses, around boating license, and aquatic invasive species surcharge lets us fight those things.
0: Governor, we've got some chronic wasting disease legislation moving uh, through the Capitol. At least a component of that involves reforming the board of animal health yeah. uh, including you know transferring some duties from that body to DNR is that legislation you support I don't know
1: that I've heard where you stand on yeah, that well well first of all I think we have not done as a state and as a nation aggressively enough against chronic wasting disease I've been unabashedly that I think we have to be very careful with these deer farms. They have been the place where these things are coming out of. And the way our system is set up, the Board of Animal Health controls what's inside the wire of those deer farms. The DNR controls what's outside of those deer farms. I think DNR is a little cautious about taking over the interior part of that, where the state veterinarian and the Board of Animal Health deal with that. The real simple fact of this is is that these deer farms have proven an inability to contain chronic wasting disease. And I think we need to have a a statewide conversation. Is it worth putting to risk the entire hunting season around deer put at risk of chronic wasting disease around these deer farms that, that again, there's a, there's a small percentage of them. And I understand people say this is how we're making a living. This is how we're doing things, but that can't impact all the rest of us in a negative way. There has to be an accountability. So is, is
0: it time to buy them out, Governor? I representative Heinzman said that in this week's outdoor news. I don't know what the bill would be, but again, we're sitting on a nice big <laughs> surplus here. Is this the time to buy yeah. out the deer farms
1: once it's well, up to me? Yeah, maybe so. There's a critique about that and saying, why are we buying someone out who's doing a destructive business practice? You know, which we buy out some of these other things. I I happen to be a little more, I I would hope a little more uh, broader on approach to that. I think maybe so. I don't disregard that these are people's livelihoods and people are doing this, but I I think for your listeners to understand, we're talking about 40 or 50 in total of what these are. The impact, if it ends up like situations we've seen in Wisconsin, it can absolutely destroy your deer hunting season in, in, in this population. So I've been you know, I don't know if the right term on this is that I've been pretty unwavering that this thing needs to be stopped in its tracks. And in the past four years, the legislature has chosen to do nothing. I put forward bills, I put forward money, I put forward proposals like buying out, it didn't happen. So I think, yeah, now is the time. I, I think debate this, have the scientists in there. I don't want to disrespect the folks who are doing this business, but I have to be honest with you, all of the science shows this chronic wasting disease is spreading from these locations.
0: You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I'm Rob Jerisline. We are spending some time with Governor Tim Walls. We've got a few minutes left here with the governor and several topics I'd like to kick around before we let him go here on this Easter Sunday. Is this neonicotinoid thing on your radar, Governor? Yeah. We've had some we've had some studies out in South Dakota that showed uh, it was maybe impacting fawn survival. I believe that was on captive deer. But here in Minnesota, there's been some studies. They're finding these neonicotinoids in, in deer spleens all over the state, even in the boundary waters. I guess it, it affects the endocrine system. And, and white-tailed deer are big mammals, and you and me are big mammals, too. Should this be on your radar what what are you in the Department of Health doing to protect deer and deer it hunters is on this one
1: bag too because these things are used in soybean production I want to be very clear we feed the world and um, we make sure that we have the most abundant safest and affordable food supply in the world so this is uh and we you know controlling on when they're sprayed and when pesticides are being um, being licensed for this, yes, this is a concern. This started out um, with some of our colony collapses around bees and is now spread, as you said, into into our mammals. So, yes, it's on our radar. Um, it's one of the things that we need to, uh, I think, find the common ground. I can tell you one of the issues with this is is because it is an effective use that is used in agriculture. And so, again, it goes to that point of, of one industry cannot negatively impact another. And that's where, we, you know, the state's role and the federal government's role in this is to find a middle ground.
0: Governor, I don't know if you ever read my column. It wouldn't hurt my feelings if you don't, but <laughs> something, something, something I've asked a couple times over the years is, you know, every governor, as long as I've been around, I've been covering, you know, this beat since the mid 1990s has implemented something outdoor legacy wise. Uh, Dayton had his buffer initiative. Uh, plenty had Vermilion State Park, which a nice piece of public land. Uh, Arnie Carlson worked on the Minnesota River and he, even Jesse figured out CREP and, and threw a lot of state money at CREP. You're in your second term. I don't know what your long term political plans are, but you know, you've you've got a little bit of uh you've got a lot of credibility with the voters. To pitch something big, an outdoor legacy. What would that be for Tim Walls? Or is that just maybe not Something you're thinking about. You no, know, no, it. it is. And I
1: think the, you know, the interesting thing about this is that I've grown up around doing this. Um, we're in an interesting political time. I really do think, Rob, this, this initiative around get out more and these investments, uh, we're at a time when we do have a state surplus. It's time to make this. This would be a generational investment. No governor that's come before me, certainly in modern times. And I'm not sure if you do dollar to dollar would be anywhere close to the investments we're talking about, remodernizing Minnesota's outdoor activities. That's going to intend, as I said, the fish hatcheries, the boat landing, but it's also going to be to the state park, which saw historic numbers of people use it during COVID. I think this is one of the things, anybody who's lived in another state or traveled much on this, what you will hear is, People cannot believe our state parks and the ability to get a cabin or to see some of the things we have. So I think the long-term legacy is I want to leave the state's outdoor heritage and the capacity to be able to do the things. And I'm going to take the political heat a little bit around the fees, but I think the long-term in this is, is that you're going to see a much healthier, a much more accessible Minnesota for folks. And so I think that's where, uh, that's where we're putting our effort. Quick
0: curveball. Should we uh, reopen the moose hunt? Should we allow a, allow a few tags for uh, for state citizens to take a few moose? It seems like the population stabilized in the Northeast, and the bands, the tribal bands in the Northeast, are killing a few.
1: They do. Um, I think again, let's listen to the biologists on this. I've said that all along. If it, if the, they've recovered enough, just to be clear for your listeners, they know this. I think the vast majority of people who are listening to this program understand this. Management of these things is important. If you didn't have a deer hunt, we would have a lot more deer with chronic wasting. We'd have a lot more other things. If the biologists and the folk believe we're at a point to do that then I think you try and explore it. But it's got to be thought out. It's got to be well-researched on how you do it. We saw, for example, I know it's a very controversial issue, but we saw a wolf hunt in Wisconsin that was not well thought out, and we saw much more harvesting that did damage to the overall population. I think you need to make sure that the experts are being a part of this.
0: Real quick, what motivates Tim Walls from an outdoor perspective?
1: For me, and uh, the biggest thing was is I've a lot of fond family memories. Many, I know it's not a secret. My one passion is pheasant hunting. I think I like the dogs, and quite honestly, I can shoot, which helps. Um, <laughs> so you can get some birds. And, and then I think leaving that legacy. Um, I've always been, you know, trying to figure out where this is, that sweet spot between – Humans needing to have land to be on, agriculture to feed us, and industry to be able to produce the raw materials that we need, but not seeing it as an either or. So it motivates me to see that we kind of break down this idea that you're either an environmentalist or you're a capitalist in the economy. The two are hand in hand. I I had the co-chair of the Congressional Sportsman's Caucus, the biggest one in Congress, and we changed our whole narrative around that. When I got there, it was mostly the hook and bullet crowd alone. We expanded that to add backcountry hikers. We expanded it, fat tire bikers, and we expanded it to be things like Cabela's and them so that we understood this is both heritage, it's both conservation, but it's also business and they can work hand in hand. So I think what motivates me is to kind of change that narrative that this is twin city environmentalist versus mining in the north. It's not that. It's both. We need both. We need to figure out how to do that.
0: Well, I understand we're not going to see you on the
1: Minnesota river for the, uh, the governor's uh, fishing opener. You want to explain that real quick? Yes. This, okay. We're off for COVID and, and we got the fishing opener down at Madison Lake, greater Mankato area, greatest place. I, I know a lot about you're going to be the biggest one. We got activities from learning how to kayak to showing kids how to fish to bands and everything. Um, I've got the dilemma that every person who fishes or does outdoor activity has my daughter's graduating from college that mm. weekend. So, um, I tried, but I'm a pretty good father and I didn't want to ruin that reputation. I'm not great at fishing, (laughs) but I love the fishing opener, but I am a good father. So, um, my team will be down there. We'll have this thing set up. The folks in greater Mankato, I'm going down to see them right before we do all this. Uh, it'll be a fantastic event and it's, it's, uh, I wish they were going to throw a line in the water, but I'll do everything else except that. Yeah, it does collide with graduation season. That's for sure. What Can I ask where your daughter goes to school? She does. She goes to school at Montana state. She's in Bozeman. So she, uh. She's a rock climber, a skier, and a fly fisher woman. Wow. Great school. And great yeah. school.
0: Well, Governor, thank you so much for all your time here today. You answered a lot of questions and uh, good luck the remainder of the session and congratulations on having a, another college graduate in your family. All right. Thanks, Rob. Take care. Yep. Governor Tim Walls, we appreciate him joining us here on this Easter Sunday. Let's get in a break. Then we will wrap up this week's installment of WCCO outdoors. Welcome back, everybody. Final segment of this Easter Sunday broadcast of WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Gerislein. Thank you very much, Governor Tim Walls, who joined us for the middle portion of this week's broadcast. I'm going to go back and listen to that interview myself at the odyssey.com backslash podcast webpage, review it a little bit, and maybe offer some of my own comments on the governor's thoughts next week on this program. So again, final segment of this week's program. Stay tuned when we're done for 60 minutes at 6 p.m. And then Geraldine Steele is back in the house with Steele talking at 7 p.m. Before we go, I want to talk about some hot open water fishing going on right now in my old stomping grounds downstream from the Twin Cities. We're talking walleyes, and as promised, I want to chat about a spot where we've got some open water fishing going strong. That's down on the Mississippi River Pool for Lake Pepin, uh, that part of the state. Always gets going before, uh, of course, Lake Country portions of Minnesota. And to help me talk about that a little bit is a gentleman, Travis Smirud. He is the manager at Four Seasons Sports down in Red Wing, and he joins us now. Travis, thanks for uh, dialing in here on an Easter Sunday.
2: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Like I say, uh, kind of the banana belt—we <laughs> call that part of the state down along the river. Things get going a little bit earlier. It sounds like uh, Lake Pepin is already wide open, and uh, fishing below the dam, like at Lock Three and and some of the other uh, lock and dams on the Mississippi. Correct?
2: Yep, it's uh, all pretty much wide open. There's some little bays here and there that have ice, but none of it is ice fishable anymore. It's mainly all all boat now.
0: That's a border water, and so that walleye season does not close. I grew up downriver from you, Travis, down in that Trumplo area, and I remember when I first came to the Twin Cities and people were like, fishing opener, I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I fish walleyes year-round. Getting into those walleyes below the dams, it's literally like fish in a barrel, isn't it?
2: It is, yes. Um, it doesn't matter how many boats, how much pressure. There's just so many fish in this river system, and we're just – grateful to have such a great fishery here and there is yeah i mean you can go out there and easily have a 50 fish 100 fish day if you find them
0: it's walleyes and saugers a ton of saugers down there yeah you might you might catch that number of fish and it's catching release obviously for for a lot of them you can't take more than a limit but a lot of them run pretty small typically a, a jig and minnow bite good old-fashioned uh keep it vertical jig and minnow bite travis
2: there is still a lot of guys who run the jig jigging minnow but nowadays we have kind of evolved to different things. We run Dubuque rigs, which is a three-way rig system uh, with a dropper down to a heavyweighted weight, heavy jig out to a plain hook that is all plastics, or you could run a minnow on there. Blade baits are still very popular. Uh, three-way and stick baits is becoming a big thing now too. So that's just a three-way down to a heavier bell sinker uh, with a number nine or number 11 floating crankbait. So jigging a minnow still is a option out there, but just nowadays there's just so many different Mm-hmm. techniques and ways that we've all found to catch fish.
0: I would imagine the uh, the newfangled side viewing sonar probably isn't super effective below a dam when there's so many fish congregating in that one area. They're they're moving up to spawn, right? That's why they tend to congregate below these dams.
2: Yes, yes. They uh, Most of the fish move down to the lake during the fall, winter time, and then now this time of year they start moving back up for spawn. Uh, and that's why you see so many fish in one area as they're just getting ready to spawn once that seems like once that water temp hits the certain point and then they go
0: well like you say it's going strong right now typically when does it when, when does it level
2: off well during the before the spawn they kind of start feeding and then mid-spawn when they actually starting to spawn it slows down a little bit but then once the spawn's done it'll pick right back up so it all depends they only may be shut down for a week and it's not even really shut down you can still catch them they just especially if you get higher water over the banks they push out into the trees and stuff like that so that's why it kind of makes it a little bit of a tougher time to catch them you're still able to but it seems like before the spawn and after the spawn is the best time to really get them
0: so by is it by like mid-may or so they start distributing more across the the whole river system and and they're not stacked up quite as much below the dams
2: yeah i would say mid-may once the water temps really starts getting up at seems like that mid 40s to mid 50s is kind of the point when they're doing their spawning and then after that yeah you start getting the warmer water temp and then they'll start pushing back down towards the lake. And,
0: and Travis WCCO Outdoors has learned we've gotten a lot of snow, a lot of moisture this winter. It's melting, we seems like we're getting kind of a slow steady melt, although with this heat coming this week I got to think it's going to be a big push. Are you starting to see water levels starting to creep up down there?
2: Uh, yes. Um, it's probably come up a little over a foot in the last week. I think I looked a little bit ago. We're at about seven, eight for water height. They're showing a uh, projected for mid next week to late next week. We'll be at a nine three. I'm um, still very fishable. You can fish out there till pretty much they shut the launches down. A lot of that's about 13 feet. So we're still quite a ways from that, but still very fishable. But yeah, it's, it's definitely coming up. Tis the season. That's that time of year. Exactly. What-
0: well, Travis, uh, you folks are in uh, Outdoor News every week in the fishing report. I know if folks want to monitor what's going on down there, they can do that. Is there a website or a phone number you'd like to drop real quick if folks want to you know, get a quick report on those water levels?
2: You can go to our website, the four uh, dot com, or if you want to give us a call at 651-388-4334. All the employees here are very knowledgeable on water levels and what's going on in the river. Travis, thanks a lot for jumping
0: in uh, real quick here on WCCO Outdoors. It's a great time of year on the river, and thanks for, uh, thanks for all you do to help anglers uh, be more successful out there. Yeah, no
2: problem. Thank you for having me.
0: You bet. That was our friend Travis Smirud from Four Seasons Sports down in Red Wings. That's a spot where they got some open water. Well, that is a wrap for this week's broadcast. I want to thank Travis as well as Governor Tim Walls, who spent the middle portion of this week's broadcast with us. If you want to go back and listen to that interview with the governor, go to odyssey.com backslash podcast and search WCCO Outdoors. With that, this program will be back on this station in seven days. I hope everybody has a great week out of doors. I'm Rob Drieslein signing off for WCCO Outdoors.